got to get that one in. Hey, uh, yeah, we really do look forward to some of you coming. We've had folk from the church come every year that we've had that. Our staff will be out there. If you talk to some who've been there before, I actually cook for you all one night. Victoria, come on, give it up. Yeah, just, just, just exaggerate, please. I love it. Um, but we have a good time hanging out with folk and really moving this mission. Uh, the world needs this mission right now more than ever. They need to look at the church and see the kingdom. They need to look at the church and see the community around them. Not these little clubs we've built uh, throughout the world, but actually mission-minded people. It's, it's so good to be out there. Um, and so I hope you can take a chance. If you go to Mosaic's conference, uh, dot com, you'll find there's uh, hotels with discounts, etc. Uh, got a shout out if you're worshiping with us online. We're so glad you're with us. But got a shout out in the house today. We have pastors Mike and Amelia Trailer who are on staff here and are now out in San Antonio doing some major stuff. But I love worship like a homecoming, man. And, and you know, Mike and I dapped it up, and Amelia goes, you guys are loud. I'm like, yeah, we are. Um, but Mike will be with me next week with Mark DeMoss. We'll be down in Dayton all week focusing on how to move this mission, how to create a church that represents heaven. Um, and so uh, I, I'd love for you to come and pray for us and, and keep doing what you're doing, man. People are talking about you all over the country. You don't even know that, but they do. They lift up Garfield um, as, a, as a model for, for what the church ought to look like. And so I'm so grateful. I really am. I'm, I, if I haven't told you thank you lately, thank you, thank you, thank you for my wife and I. Thank you for being willing to be uncomfortable. Being comfortable, being uncomfortable, that's one of our rules. And we say if you join our church, you're going to like 70% of what happens here. And if you can live in that lane, man, uh, we can be vehicles for the Lord. So I'm stalling right now because I don't want to preach on what I'm preaching on today. Our 9 o'clock service was very quiet. I'm so glad Dre took us to the throne of God because that's as good as it's going to get today. As good as it's going to get because you're about all ready to go totally silent on me because we've been in our series Wisecracks looking at wisdom literature. We've been looking at the book of Proverbs specifically, but also Ecclesiastes, Job, uh, Song of Solomon, the Psalms, the wisdom literature of the Bible. And what we learned, and I shared this last week, is that Proverbs is not the farmer's almanac. Okay, it's not like go in and find out your daily horoscope or what does the Bible have to say to me today. Too many times we've read it that way, and I think I've been guilty of that. But to do this deep dive that we've done together into the book of Proverbs, what you find is that Proverbs dissects a lot of the themes in life that really affect us and says that we need to seek wisdom. Now, some people think wisdom means being moral or being right or righteous. It really doesn't mean that because wisdom helps you sometimes. What do you do when you have two choices and both of them are moral, right? Both of, both of them are good. I remember my spiritual mentor one time, I was, having, I was at that kind of crossroads. Do I leave the corporate arena? Do I go into ministry? What do I do? How do I be a good Christian? I was going through all this. And I'll never forget, he said to me, Chip, God can't hit a home run if you don't pitch to him. Right? We, we've, we've got to take a path. And sometimes they're very good things, and that requires what? Wisdom. And as Pastor Steve shared a few weeks ago, what was Solomon's prayer? He was the wisest person in the world, so, so to say, speak. But when he, when he could ask God for anything, he asked God for wisdom. Right? Any who search for wisdom should ask of God. 
and God help us. And so Proverbs deals with wisdom in a lot of things. We've talked about how do we listen? How do we speak? These are basic things. How do we, um, you know, worship God? How do we uh, function in our marriages or as parents or as children of parents? How do we deal with our relationships? How do we repair our relationships when they get broken? Proverbs deals with everything about what it is to be human and live in relationship with God. And today, unfortunately, ready to get quiet? Proverbs says a lot about how we deal with money. I, I, oh, yeah, nobody's walked out yet. <laughs> Give it two minutes. Um, but money and wealth, and I know, listen, if you get a little uncomfortable with preachers talking about money, I get it. I want you to know that, I get it. I'm not a fan of prosperity preaching. You've heard me a long time. I'm not into that. I don't like shakedown sermons, right? My wife and I were at a, a conference one time in Ohio, and they took up six offerings. And by the sixth one, she actually had to go to the restroom because the service was like three hours, and the usher tried to lock her in. If you know my wife, it didn't go well for him. <laughs> it did not go well that day. Um, and and I, I get it. We get uncomfortable sometimes. I was watching a TikTok video. Yeah, I watch a couple of them. Uh, what? Young woman at South Euclid put me in one. Now I'm a fan. Um, but I was watching it, and there was a pastor who was calling his congregation like broke and disgusted because he didn't have an expensive enough watch. And that bugs me, right? So if you're uncomfortable today, so here they go. All they want is my money, and I'm so glad Nate brought that up. We're not after your money. God isn't after your money. God's after you. He's after your heart. But Proverbs warns us that money and wealth can have an inordinate effect upon who we are. And we can lose ourselves if we're not careful, right? Some people talk, um, I remember when the nation of Israel was about to go into, into the promised land. God had promised, brought them out of slavery, right, in Exodus and was bringing them into the promised land. And Deuteronomy is probably my favorite uh, writing of the Hebrew scriptures. And Deuteronomy kind of sums up what's happened. And God says to the people before they go into the land, he says, I'm worried about you. I'm worried about you when you've eaten your fill and have built fine houses and live in them. And when your herds and flocks have multiplied and your silver and gold is multiplied, I worry about you that, you, that you do not exalt yourself, forgetting the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Do not say to yourself, watch this, my power and the might of my own hand have gotten me this wealth. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. God says, I worry about you. You're going to go into the land of milk and honey, and you're going to start thinking you deserve it. Worse yet, you're going to start thinking you've actually earned it. And forget what the scriptures tell us, that every good gift comes from above, right? You know, I mean, we could have born, been born in the mountains of Tibet in the 11th century or something, right? We have the gifts that we have, the strengths that we have, because God has endowed us with them. God has given them to us. And, and Proverbs is warning us that money and wealth, what I'm going to say today, is probably the number one thing that can get in your way and think that you have prosperity apart from God. And you need to be very, very cautious about that. Some people say, well, the Bible says money's the root of all evil. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. You know what it does say? In Timothy, the love 
of money is the root of all evil. That's idolatry. Putting anything as your ultimate love except God, except the, the, you know, the creator of the universe. Charles Spurgeon was a great preacher, and one person went up to him one time and says, you know, I want Jesus to be precious in my life. How do I know if Jesus is precious? And Charles Spurgeon said, when nothing else is, then you'll know that he's precious. And so there is what we talk about, Proverbs says, a power of money. Money has an actual power. And you'd be surprised to know if you read through Proverbs, Proverbs doesn't condemn money. Proverbs actually speaks a lot of good things about money. Uh, here's a few Proverbs. It says, lazy hands make a person poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. That's a proverb. Uh, here's another one. The one who tends their crops in summer are wise. The one who sleeps during harvest time is disgraceful. And how about Proverbs 10:22 that says, the blessing of the Lord brings wealth. Why, why does it speak positively about money? It's like I said a few weeks ago, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. used to say, money's like electricity. It's neither good nor bad. It's what you do with it. And see, God has a very, very positive outlook upon the material world. It's what distinguishes our religion from all the other ones. If the Greeks in their day and age, they said that the physical world was just kind of a uh, cast a shadow over the real world up on Mount Olympus, right? The Eastern uh, religions say that the world is just a complete illusion, so we should transcend the world to uh, achieve ultimate nirvana, right? In actually, the old religions of the Norse and European religions, pagan religions, said that the world was created by a great war or some kind of conflict. But only Genesis says that the world was created by God. And God called it good. And God put us into the world, into the Garden of Eden, and said for us to what? Take care Take care of the material world. Be good stewards of the material world. See, God always has a positive outlook. And, and so in God's mind, as you acquire wealth, as you are able to make money, do these things, you can affect the life of others by reinvesting that as you take care of the world. And so it's, it, it actually, it, it's what makes you human. So it makes you feel like you're not just a cog in the machine. Because I actually have purpose. I can, whatever I am able to attain or, or whatever my mind can expand, I have more ability to take care of the world around me, and that includes other people. And I, I invest myself in the lives of others. For God so the world that he gave everything he had. He didn't hold anything back. He gave himself his, his only one and only son. And that's a model for all of us that we so love others and we so love the world around us that we give, give of our time and our talent and our treasure to, to, to increase the world and not just to increase myself. Tell me this wouldn't be a different place if we did that. Collectively, all of us, right? So, so there's a positive view of the power of money, but what Proverbs does do is it warns us about the spiritual danger in money and wealth. And I found four things when I was reading Proverbs, four things, if you're taking notes online, take them now, um, that warns us about the power of uh, spiritual danger of money and wealth. One, money and wealth have the power to corrupt your integrity. 
The Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights are his delight. What are they talking about? Back then in that day and age in the marketplace, if you were selling or buying grain, they would weigh it, right? So if somebody had a dishonest scale, where you thought you were buying two pounds of grain, but you were only buying one pound of grain, God says he detests that. You know what that word is literally in the Hebrew? It's an abomination. It's an abomination. That God only calls abomination those things that are totally in violation of who God is. What other things does he call abomination? Murder is an abomination. Adultery is an abomination. And he puts dishonest use of money in the same category as that, right? Why? Because I'm going to tell, I'm going to talk about this a little more later, because, you know, when you commit adultery, you know you're doing it, right? You don't wake up and go, oh gosh, you're not my spouse. That doesn't happen. <laughs> but money and greed and wealth can be a lot more under the surface. And God wants to say, look, that's as big an abomination for me. If you're losing yourself, in the midst of it, right? What did Jesus say? What does it profit you to gain the whole world and lose yourself, lose who you really are? So it has a power to corrupt our integrity. Second thing, money and wealth have the power here. This is me being too preacherish. I'll try to break this down to magnify self-corruption to the detriment of the community. Who writes stuff like that? Me. My wife sometimes says, Tip, you know, sometimes you go so high, we can't even understand you. What does it mean? Wealth can break your integrity, can also break community. It can break down society. People curse the one who withholds grain, but they pray God's blessing on the one who is willing to sell. That proverb was specifically speaking to a type of famine. There's a famine in the land, right? And people are thanking God for those who are giving of their grain or giving of their wealth, even putting in the marketplace versus someone, I know we never saw this during the pandemic, right? Who hoards their stuff, waiting for the price to go up, right? God says that, that is, that, that's an abomination. That, you know, that they're, you're trying to make a greater profit, but there are people who are hungry and you're breaking down community. It's, it's not illegal right? It's not illegal. If somebody owns the grain, they don't have to sell the grain. It's not illegal. But you know one I've learned from Proverbs? Here's one you can follow away. I've learned that wisdom is understanding what is right beyond the rules. So I can keep all the rules, but I may not be in wise. I may not be in giving of myself, right? And, and what Proverbs says, when you do stuff like that, it's cursed, what does cursed mean? Anything that's cursed means spiritual, emotional, moral, physical disintegration. And community is being disintegrated and people's bodies are being disintegrated through our foolish use of money. So what is, Pro what is Proverbs doing? Is it condemning that the one bottom line, I shared this before in the corporate arena, the bottom line is what? The bottom line is profit. But Proverbs is saying to us, there's a lot of bottom lines. There's more than just profit. There's building up community. There's building up others, right? The righteous, when Proverbs says, this is one scholar said, the righteous, according to Proverbs, are those who value community as a bottom line, as well as personal profit. The righteous are those who are willing to forego greater profit for the common good. 
That's a different bottom line. There are multiple bottom lines, he's saying. I was reading a, um, a Princeton economist. I went to the institution, so I tend to get a lot of articles from there, but there's a guy named, I don't know if you've heard of him, Paul Krugman. Paul Krugman, he's, he's writes for the New York Times. He's an economist, teaches economics at Princeton. And, and he wrote noticing something about current CEOs, corporate executives. He said that on average now, they're making almost 100 times what the average worker makes in there. And you know what he did? He compared it to the sexual revolution. He says what happened is, before World War II, no corporate executive made even more than double the common you know, common worker. And he writes this. He said, why weren't executives paid this lavishly 30 years ago? Because for a generation, he writes, after World War II, fear of outrage kept executive salaries in check. But now the outrage is gone. The explosion of executive pay represents a social change, a cultural change. Rather than purely the economic forces of supply and demand, we should think of it not as a market trend like the rising value of waterfront property, but as something more like the sexual revolution of the 1960s. This is an economist, right? He says, a relaxation of old structures, a new permissiveness, except now the permissiveness has moved out of the sexual into the financial. By the end of the 1990s, the executive motto might as well have been, if it feels good, do it. The individualism unleashed in the area of sex has now washed into our economics. So is Proverbs condemning the way that we practice normal business? Yes. It is. It's saying there's more bottom lines than bottom line. I don't know who wrote this. It was author unknown, but I read this years and years ago. At our heritage service every Sunday, we pray the Lord's Prayer. You know, um, our Father art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And somebody once wrote a little ditty about the Lord's Prayer. And see, he said, you know what's missing in the Lord's Prayer? Me and my and I. And here's what they wrote. You cannot pray the Lord's Prayer and even once say I. You cannot pray the Lord's Prayer and even once say my. Nor can you pray the Lord's Prayer and not pray for one another. And when you ask for daily bread, you must include your brother. And when for others are included in each and every plea from the beginning to the end of it, it doesn't once say me. I don't know who wrote that, but I wish I did. Um, that's, that's the point. We don't just break down our own integrity. We can break down the power of we. We can break down community. So that's two things. Third thing, it can corrupt our integrity. It can corrupt community. It's, this is a big one. It can just, it, money has the power to distract you from what's really important. Right? What does it say? Wealth is worthless. Did I say that right? I think I stuttered that. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath. What's the day of wrath? Judgment day. Well, we're all going to have an accounting of our lives, right? My mentor used to say, it's, it's not like, uh, you know, today I ask myself, what would I do on my last day? All of us know what we do. We'd be with our loved ones. We'd do these things. But what my mentor used to tell me, it's not saying on the, you know, what am I doing today that I do on my last day? It's saying the perspective on the last day, when I'm asked, what did you do with your life? Your life is going to be the answer to that question. Not words. 
how we live. And wealth is worthless in the day of wrath. I, I used to hear the Southern preachers, I, I loved it when they, the old the guys up in the mountains, they used to say, have you ever seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul? That one stuck with me. Wealth is worthless on the day of wrath. Is wealth gonna extend your life? Can wealth heal you? Can wealth fix your broken relationships? Can wealth give you purpose and meaning? Finally, it's useless on the day of wrath. That's what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. used to say, money's like electricity, it's neither good or evil, it's what you do with it, right? And the love of money can become the root of all evil. Um, as a pastor now for 32 years, I have sat with people in their last hours. We don't practice last rites, that's not who we are. But I've been with people in hospice or, you know, people in this church who have been facing, you know, their mortal mortality and, and, and face death, and I've been with them. I've heard people share regrets, right? I probably will have some, we all do. I look back and you, you know what I've never heard anybody say? Never in my 32 years of ministry have I sat somebody looking death in the face and said, gosh, I just wish I spent more time at the office. Never heard that. See, wealth and money can corrupt what's really, really important and can make us lose sight of that, right? So we earn more so we can spend more. So I need to earn more now to keep up with my own spending, right? Proverbs says, here's what Proverbs says, money and wealth makes you busy. And it says this, far busier than you ought to be. It makes you think you have far less than what you need to do good in the world. I've been to our campus in Liberia, my wife and I and Pastor Lori had a chance to go there in 2016. And you know, I talked with some of the folk there, they were living in abjunct poverty, abjunct poverty. And you know, they think about us here in the States and they kind of laugh at us. And they, sometimes they get a little angry at us. They're like, gosh, you know, you all talk about not having enough. Come over to my hut in Liberia. Let's see, you can find out what enough really is. That's why I always like Willie Nelson who wrote enough is always a little bit more. Always, right? So it can, it, can, it can affect, distract us from really important. Here's the last one. It can make you proud, right? Money has the power to make you proud. And here's what Proverbs 38 and 9 says, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? You know who said that? Who is the Lord? Pharaoh. That's what he said to Moses. Who is the Lord? You have all these empires, right? I may disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God, right? If you be like Pharaoh, suddenly you believe that your own economic success, right? Makes you feel overconfident. The more money you make, the more successful you are, the more tempted you are to believe that you got it because you're just so smart and so disciplined and forget and say, who is the Lord? See, money and wealth have that, have that, can have that effect on us. Here's what one scholar wrote, even our economic systems of the world don't fit the Bible's view of money and wealth. Socialism doesn't fit it. Capitalism doesn't fit. And here's what he wrote. The Bible's understanding of money is such that it does not fit into either socialism or capitalism or any view of economics in between. 
on the one hand, it's way too positive about the good of wealth creation and making money, the good that riches can bring in the connection between wealth and hard work. It's way too positive about those things to fit into a socialistic system. Yet on the other hand, all this talk about money saying that it's not finally yours, but belongs to the community, that there are multiple bottom lines, and the way money blinds people and makes them proud and leads to oppression and exploitation does not in any way fit into capitalism theory either. The reason is, the Bible says, is that human beings continue to underestimate the power of money. It is a powerful and can be a powerful idol in our life. We don't understand its spiritual power, right? But, but the, the Bible certainly does. So what is the reason? What's the reason for this power? We know what it can do negatively. What's the reason? We find it in that proverb here, 10 and 11, that says simply this, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. What does that mean? In that day and age, the cities were places of what? Security, you know, the big walls, right? The walls of the city, it kept you, you know, safe. So it was security. It was also significance. If you lived in the city, you were somebody. The poor never lived in the city in the first century. They were outside the city gates and they were, uh, you know, they could be succumbed by wild animals or anything. So for, for those who begin to worship their money and their wealth, it, it isn't say that they live in the city, it is their city. It's their place of security and significance, right? And if you read that whole verse in its, in its whole uh, context, it says this, the name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. That's where security and significance come. But the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. See, money and wealth has the ability to pretend that it gives us our security and our significance. And the truth, the bottom line, the real bottom line is our security and our significance only come from God, right? Money can't give you significance finally. You can't take it with you. It won't heal you when you're sick. It won't raise you when you're dead. Only God is our significance. Only God is our security. The Lord is my rock and my foundation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Though armies encamp against me, though pandemics camp against me, though enemies camp, I will not fear. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that I might dwell in his presence forever. The Lord is your security and the Lord gives you significance and don't you let any devil in hell think that the stock market can provide that for you right my, one of my one of my other mentors his wife used to say money can't buy happiness it just lets you take happy more places that's somebody that understands that there's a positive and there's a negative and if we're not careful we'll succumb to it so let me close with this three minutes and I'm done how can we break the power of money over us. How do we break it? I'm gonna tell you two things. The first, assume <laughs> that you're somewhat in denial. Assume you're somewhat in denial about this. Oh, it doesn't have any power on me. You just haven't made enough yet. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. Jesus talked about materialism, as I shared earlier, more than adultery, more than murder. Why? Because we're blind to it. 
we can be in denial of it. Denial is not just a river in Egypt, right? It, it, we can be in denial over the power of us. Um, I read a woman who writes on tech companies for the New York Times, and in tech companies, nothing has made money like tech companies, and we're the sheep that's feeding the control. Here's just some statistics if you don't think we're in denial in our country. Apple's profit for the last year, Apple's profit, $101 billion. Do you know their profit was more than Walmart, General Motors, Exxon, Pfizer, Verizon, Disney, Coke, and McDonald's combined? Right? Uh, Facebook generates on average $214 per peop dollars per user. I'm one of those $214, are you? And it's made it one of the biggest money-making enterprises the world's ever seen. I don't want to pick on Amazon too much. I'm sure the guy, I, I don't want to name his name, you know who it is. I'm sure, he, I'm just going to assume he's a really nice guy. But do you know they lost $267 billion? They had, had a decreased deficit. That's more than Disney makes. And they're just fine. And the owner of Amazon just got a new yacht. Did you hear this? And they're having to tear down a bridge in the Netherlands and rebuild one because it's, it's not high enough for the yacht to go under. So we're in denial on, on the way that money you know, holds the power of us. And that's why this little proverb is so important. It says, one person gives freely, actually the translation there is scatters, one person's willing to scatter, yet gains even more, another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. This is a message against hoarding, we're to scatter. Where does that word scatter come from? It comes from agriculture. Because if you don't scatter your seed, right, you starve. And, but when you scatter your seed, when you plant it, it comes back as a harvest. Now this has been really twisted and distorted by prosperity preaching, I don't like it. Because if I scatter so that I'll gather, you're not scattering, you're gathering. If I give God $1,000 because he's gonna give me 100 grand back, that's gathering, you're hoarding. But when you scatter of your gifts and you scatter of your wealth and you allow yourself to be scattered, you can reap a harvest that all can eat from. And who is, the, who is the model for that? It's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who on the cross was scattered. When they whipped him, there were bones in those whips. They were, they were like barbed wire. They were literally tearing him to pieces. And on the cross, he was broken. He was scattered so we could be gathered, so he could bring us up. I love when Hebrews said, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Years ago, I said, what was his joy in that horror? And suddenly I realized it was me and it was you for the joy of gathering us, he allowed him to be scattered. So how do you break the power of money and wealth over you? One, admit you're in denial. Two, bring the gospel of Jesus Christ into your checkbook. Bring it into your economics. Bring it into your living room and your bedroom and your kitchen. Think of everything that Jesus Christ has done for me. That's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 8. He was trying to raise money for the poor. And he didn't go after their will. He said, hey, you better give or God's going to get you. He didn't do that. And he didn't even go after their emotions. Anybody watch that commercial that has all the dogs that are dying and if you don't give your money, you know, these poor. I, I walk away from my TV when I see that. It just tears, but, but Paul didn't do that. He didn't go after their will. He didn't go after their mind. He went after their hearts. 
He took the gospel of Jesus Christ into their lives. And what does he write? I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. As it is written, the one, which one? Jesus, who gathered much, did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Bring the gospel of Jesus Christ into your life. For those who wish to save their life, Jesus said, will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and the sake of this gospel will keep it unto eternity. Allow yourself to be scattered that others might be gathered and might come to know the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ in their lives, just like you and I have, because we're willing to be scattered. I have to work at that every day, friends. It doesn't come easy for me. Please don't hear me up here preaching like, yeah, I get it right. I, I fail this test more times than I pass it. How about you? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come. Shake us, move us, agitate us, make us uncomfortable that we might be scattered, that we might realize what exactly you did for us, what you gave up for us, for you so loved the world that you gave. God, create in us a generous heart. We know the ways we fail, but let us think, like Paul said long ago, of the grace, the gift, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who though he was rich became poor, that we who are poor might become his. Seal that in us today, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Let all God's people say amen. Now that you feel significantly guilty like I do, we can say amen. Amen. <laughs>